Hi, my name is Andrea Jansen, and I am on a mission to help people be ambitious at work every single day. That means you're fulfilled, you're productive, and you're contributing to your company. I'm a certified executive coach that has an MBA, a diversity consultant, a Forbes contributor, a business leader, a wife, and a mother of three. This podcast is about tackling hard topics like the gender gap in the workplace. It's about asking the questions that everybody's thinking about, but doesn't want to say out loud. Each episode is like the sweet spot between motivation and tactical strategies to get you ahead. We get out of our comfort zones and we take action. This is where we learn, grow, and create opportunities. Welcome to the Ambition Theory Podcast. Phil Jewell says that you don't have to master technical skills in order to be a great leader. He shares stories of how he was able to lead teams where he had zero knowledge of the technical work his team members were doing. He was even the leader of a bomb squad. We talk about servant leadership and how serving your team instead of teaching them what to do is the real definition of leadership. We have some exciting announcements coming soon from Ambition Theory, so make sure you subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss out. Go to ambitiontheory.ca to sign up. Hi, Phil. Thank you so much for coming on the Ambition Theory podcast. I'm so excited that you're here today. Um, with me talking about what it really takes to be a leader. And I want to go back a little bit and talk about how we met. You came yeah. to an animation theory event that was for kids and you brought your daughter, Isla. And it was so interesting what you said afterwards. You said to everybody in the group, you said, I learned just as much from this event as I think my daughter did. Tell me about this. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Andrew. And it's great to be here. Um, yeah, that was a great event. And it really it was talking about uh, almost how we're molded as we grow up to believe that we have to choose a career and stay in that career and how we have to decide what we want to be when, you know, in high school, you know, we have to decide what we want to be when we grow up. When actually, you know, we all have these dreams and passions that I think we should all just, um, you know, be able to follow and that should be our kind of career path. But it's kind of drummed out of us. And so, you know, during that session, we were trying to empower our, our kids to, to think about what they love doing, think about what they enjoy doing and just continue doing that and continue following that passion. And who knows where it will lead them, you know, the job or the career they may have might not even exist today. And I was hearing all those messages and then I was kind of reflecting on my, on my own kind of career path. And I was realizing that it's, it's a message that I need to follow and I need to take myself because certainly the, the definition of success, if you like, is um, something that was given to me uh, during, my, during my environment when I grew up. And it's not the definition of success in my mind. It was the traditional definition of success where you get a good job, good secure job, you have a good salary, good benefits, and you, and you stay in that career. But that's not success in my mind anymore. Okay, so can you actually take a minute to introduce yourself and tell me what you are passionate about and what you're working on these days? Yeah, so uh, so I'm uh, Phil, Phil Jewell. I'm the founder of Impact Leadership, uh, impactleadershipteam.com. Uh, and I am absolutely passionate about the subject of leadership and just making people's working environments better we spend a third of our lives um, in the working environment and I just believe they can be better than they are I'm a lifelong learner I'm a lifelong failure I've made so many mistakes so many errors and I've been fortunate enough to have um, I almost feel like a lifetime of leadership experiences in you know in a short amount of time and I'm pretty passionate about being able to to learn from them and being able to try and help others through them 
Amazing. So cool. I love that you're passionate about leadership as a skill. And you started your career in the military in the UK. And also you've worked with the military in Canada. And I want to unpack these preconceived notions of what leadership is yeah. from that military perspective. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. So, yeah. So I started off my, um, my, career in the British Army I went to the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst um, about 16 years ago now and the motto there the whole foundation of the training is serve to lead like from day one I remember it it was it was a dark night it was probably early morning or whatever whatever it was and we were all lined up and we were told by our instructor who was a veteran of many uh, many operations known and unknown and they simply said to us the only reason you exist, the only reason is to serve those soldiers you may have the privilege of leading one day. And it was such, such uh, an important message and an important philosophy that our whole training is built upon. It's, you know, it's the Hollywood has done her and horrendous a job job at stereotyping what military leadership is and army leadership. Now, I'm, I'm only speaking from the perspective as a British army officer. There are some very different uh, militaries in the world with, you know, um, different cultures. But certainly in my experience, it is absolutely the opposite to, to what Hollywood portrays. I um, have never been as empowered and as trusted as I was in the army. I have never been able to give my team who I lead as much empowerment as and as much trust as I was able to give them in the army in real life and death situations you know um, it, it's all about um, what we call in the army mission command but it's basically given you know giving your folks the the framework that you want them to work um, within and then just letting them go letting them go you know uh, I think a good analogy is uh, and I compare it to the corporate world where I've worked as well is silence. So in the army, silence is not a bad thing. So if there was a situation happening or a problem happening, my boss, they wouldn't expect to hear from me. They don't expect to hear from me if they if I needed something from them. They know that I had everything I needed. They know I had all the training I needed, all the skills I needed. So silence was okay. But in the corporate world, silence is feared and people want to fill the void of silence. And you have an incident in the corporate world and you're getting emails and getting notifications left, right, and center to try and provide information to your leadership team, to what's going on, et cetera. And there just isn't that sort of empowerment and trust. So, you know, that was the, the basis of and the foundation uh, of my training. And, you know, a year after that, or a year after finishing the course, I was in Afghanistan, you know, leading a team of 40 AAA soldiers who had decades and decades of experience in the army and I had none compared to them. And yet, because I, you know, the philosophy of serve to lead, the philosophy of trust and empowerment was there, I was able to effectively lead them because I didn't for one moment try to even pretend that I knew their job, try to even pretend that I could do their job better. You know, it was completely opposite. And you know, the questions, questions were often, you know, what can I do to support you? What do you need from me? And, and, you know, it's completely the opposite to the command and control that is presented in, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the Hollywood stuff we, we see in our environment. Now, of course, there are many areas like any organization. I mean, the thing is, the army and the military, there's hundreds of thousands of people in it. And, you know, you'll find teams in those environments who are very command and control, who are very micromanaging, no, no different than any organization. Um, but you also find many areas and many teams where the empowerment and the trust is something that is very, very hard to uh, find outside.
Phil, I know when you were kind of learning about leadership, it was all about servant leadership. It's this idea that you actually don't need the technical skills as the people that you're leading. But we know now, especially in corporate, that most people get promoted based on their technical skills. And there's this assumption that it's your job as the leader to teach the people that report to you your technical skills so that they can do the job just like you would. And that's where people are spending a lot of their time. So where do you think we lost that idea of leadership is really about serving the people that report to you? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's a really great question. I don't, don't know how to answer it, you know, but I will certainly give you my thoughts. You know, and it's interesting because I, I was at Sanders 15, 16 years ago and it was just so normal. It was just common that we were serving to lead and we, we were going to take over the soldiers who, uh, we were going to lead soldiers who, who knew so many things about the technical area and we knew so little, but that just seemed normal. Um, and it wasn't until I left and joined the corporate world that I realized it wasn't as normal. And I, where did it get lost? Where did it go wrong? I think we haven't realized that leadership is a profession. Like leadership is a belief, a behavior, and a habit. It is not something you can just pick up. And we are so used to promoting the best architect, the best salesperson, the best whoever in that technical area. And the ironic thing is for those people to do those, those roles, those jobs, they would have had training. So any, any um, you know, most of service professions, especially, or any profession, in fact, you know, whether you're a construction engineer, um, anyone, you would have gone through a series of training to be good and proficient at that job, and you will continue to continue to develop. And yet all of a sudden, we promote people into leadership positions overnight, and we expect without any training whatsoever, and we expect them to be good at the job. And it's just, it's just not the way it is. It's absolutely flawed. And I think it's just a fact that I don't know if the lesson has been lost. I just don't think it's yet been learned. And I think it will be learned. And I think the what's happened over the last year and the way we were going anyway in terms of leadership, um, it will help people learn it because they'll have no choice because people um, are going to expect to work in an environment where they feel empowered, they feel trusted. You know, I, I think of uh, Dr. David Rock and his scarf kind of, you know, philosophy where, you know, People want to feel the freedom. People are not going to stay in a role because of the financial benefits. I mean, that's going to be an important factor for people, but for people, but that's not what's going to empower them and fulfill them. They want to feel trusted and they want to feel inspired and they want to feel uh, they, they can create in the area. And it's so important. So I think the lesson will be learned. I think some organizations, some professions will learn it quicker than others because they'll be forced to. I think if I look back to why did the army learn it so quickly, so in the British army at Sandhurst, I think it's because, and this is no different to organizations now, but, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, thing in, in an army environment, certainly on an operational high intensity environment, the things change so rapidly, so rapidly that as a leader, you haven't got time to direct, to command and control. You're, you, the people you lead in who are actually dealing with the situation on the ground have to have the authority, the responsibility and the empowerment to make the decision because they have not got time to report the problem to you, to analyze it, et cetera. So you have to trust the skills they have. And I think that's where the servant leadership comes from. And I think now, though, in many organizations, corporations, it's kind of the same. Like things change and happen so quickly, so quickly that we haven't got time. By the time you... Um, you know, you, you, you analyze it and talk to your leadership team and, you know, they get feedback from who they need to get to, et cetera, et cetera. The, all the information that you initially gave them is now out of date and, you know, the decision is irrelevant. So I think people will learn it. It's just a question of when and how, 
and it's going to take a long time, but we need to get past just promoting the best technical person into a leadership position. In fact, I'd say the best leaders I have ever worked for and worked around are those who know, knew little to nothing about the, the area, the, the technical area that they led. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can have a whole board who know absolutely nothing at all about the technical area, but I am suggesting you can have very competent, very effective leaders at the very top who know nothing about the technical area they are leading. Because at the end of the day, people are people are people. I don't believe in uh, leadership in healthcare, leadership in education, leadership in the military and all that sort of stuff. Leadership is leadership is leadership. You are leading people. The profession, honestly, I think the profession is irrelevant to the principles of leadership. And I go back to some of the roles I had, especially in the army. You know, there was two particular times where I led large teams of soldiers in a technical area that I knew absolutely nothing about. And this was the only capability that we had in, in, in that whole region where I was leading the team. It was a very high level capability, got a lot of attention, got a lot of attention in the press. And I was put in charge of all this. And I know knew, I knew nothing about it at all. And yet I was able to effectively lead that team because I trusted them. I empowered them. Yes, I asked questions. I knew what questions to ask. I knew what to listen to in an answer. My instinct told me that mm, I maybe need to dig a little, little bit deeper on this answer from this person. Um, but overall, I wasn't over their heads micromanaging them. And it's amazing to see how effective a team can become when they feel trusted. And we all know that, you know, we all know we've all been in situations where we feel trusted and empowered ourselves. And it's amazing if you just trust somebody on day one, it's amazing how much they can achieve as opposed to the other way around, the whole notion of like trust is earned, which I think is also a load of nonsense. Oh, I love that. So it's like you trust them on day one. And then oh, yeah, 100%. Like, so 100%. So this whole trust is earned, honestly, I think it's an absolute load of rubbish and it needs to be turned ahead. It's a load of nonsense. Give trust on day one. Give trust on day one. Yes, that trust can be further developed uh, and you know become deeper. But we've all been in situations, even as kids growing up, if we're trusted, we feel the responsibility and we feel that accountability and we want to do a good job. The problem is, this is the issue with what I'm saying and people are going to be thinking, well, people are going to let me down. Guaranteed. People are going to fail you. There's always 5%. There's always 5%. There's 5% in society who don't follow the rules, who won't do as they're told. That's why we have law enforcement people. You know, there's always a 5%. But 95% of people can be and should be trusted. And the issue is we've become so obsessed with that 5% is we build organizations and systems on the 5%. So we base rules and procedures on the 5%. And all we do by doing that is we absolutely constrain and limit the, the creativity, the innovation, and the absolute greatness of the 95%. And I think that is a fundamental principle for any organization, is your system, your governance, your internal policies and procedures need to be built on the 95% who can be and should be trusted. And then when the 5% let you down, which they will, then you need to deal with them on an individual basis, but not create blanket procedures. There's so many blanket procedures in organizations created because one, per one person couldn't be trusted at one point in time. And then you create an organization where senior leaders, they, they're not even allowed to make decisions about what color pens they can buy, you know? And all it makes, all it makes people do is just kind of like, we become robots in our, in our world. And we, you know, we, 
we we're not innovative and we're not driven and we're not empowered to to achieve because we we fear of the rules and procedures or we know that the bureaucracy is going to kind of weigh us down so yeah give trust on day one i think it's absolutely key I think I love that you just you expect that 5% is going to let you down. You're like, I'm going to give this trust knowing that it is a risk. Whereas the risk of having the procedures in place are like, well, the risk of putting all these really strict procedures in place is that we lose the creativity. We lose that innovation. We lose all of that capability that these people could bring to the table. So there's two risks, right? And we are, I think organizations are leaning toward that the wrong side of the risk that actually hinders innovation, hinders organizational growth. I love exactly. perspective. And, it's, and I wrote a blog on that and it's, the title was exactly that. The title was like the rewards uh, and the greatness from the 95% will absolutely outshine the risk of the 5%. Absolutely. Now, of course, there are some professions, medicine off the top of my head, et cetera, where like, you, you know, there's some professions where you can't accept zero, you, you can't accept any risk or you need to really mitigate that risk to absolute zero, you know, but most professions aren't like that, you know? Yeah, that's so, that's so true. Okay. I want to take it back a little bit because you said there's leadership is really three things. It's behavior, it's a habit, and it's one more. What was the third one? A, a belief. It's a, be- a belief. Uh, yeah. So I want to unpack all three of those. So let's, can you unpack the behavior side of things and how do people learn that? And how do you teach people that? Uh, you know, it's, I mean, I would just take that question to a different, to, to the next level up is it's how do we learn and teach our behaviors in our life to our kids, to ourselves, because who you are is how you lead. I always laugh very cynically. If you like, when I see some Twitter handles or whatever social media handles and, and the, the, the profile says, thoughts and opinions on my own and not those of my employer. I think that's a load of nonsense because you are, the way you are is the way you lead. You don't, you can't separate. You don't put this one suit on saying, oh, I'm Phil in my personal life. And now I'm going to put my, my suit on for my professional life. And I'm going to be a different person. That's not, that's, well, if I am that, I'm an absolute terrible leader because you cannot fake leadership. You know, you cannot fake leadership. So, you know, the, those behaviors, uh, the behaviors that you have in your life they're, 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 they're the behaviors you have in your life it's it's no different um so i don't know how i mean i don't know how you you teach them you you learn them humbly throughout your life um but it's absolutely it's absolutely key to understand that who you are in your life is how you will lead ultimately you know you may people may be able to fake leadership for a certain amount of time in certain situations but ultimately people see through it people see through it and you know there's this whole like notion as well about leaders they present themselves dressed very smartly and they've got all the ducks lined up and everything it's just a load of nonsense as well nobody's nobody has that nobody has all the ducks lined up nobody's fine nobody's not dealing with all these uh, internal external pressures and i think the more we show that that rawness that realness that vulnerability that honesty i think the better leader we are because the more human we are and people can relate to people being human so the behavior one is, you know, is, is a difficult one, but it's just, you know, it's, it's integrity, you know, all that sort of stuff is, it, you know, if you have it in your life, then you're going to lead with it. If you don't have it in your life, then you're not going to be able to lead with it. So. so it's just like recognizing that authenticity, recognizing you are one person in your personal life, in your professional life and showing up and modeling that. And then when people see that, they will know it's okay to be themselves as well. And yeah. Those are the behaviors. And modeling model. it is key. That's such a great point, actually. Modeling it is so key because there's so many organizations 
who have these great visions and mission statements and leadership principles or whatever on the wall, but they do not model it. Like so many organizations. And I'll give you an example, actually, that I think is happening right now in the world. There's a lot of people who are, are burnt out or on the path to burnout. In fact, I was speaking to somebody the other day and they said, I'm not burnt out. I said, they said, I'm fried. <laughs> and we started laughing. I thought it was a good way to describe it. But here's the issue with it all is there's a lot of organizations as well that say we are, we look after our people. And if you need to take the time, take the time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they just say that in words. And even if it's a leader looking at their employees saying it, they're just saying it in words because they're not doing it themselves. They're not taking the time themselves. But also more importantly is a lot of the driven people in organizations, a lot of the people who are burnt out have a lot of professional and personal pride. They are not going to take time off. They're not going to give themselves permission to take time off unless they're forced to take time off. So I actually think I experienced this once as a leader. I was in a, I was in a, a very uh, kind of high profile position when I was still in the army and I was very driven and I wanted to do a good job. And I, there's a personal situation going on where absolutely I should have stopped doing work and go home, spend the time with my wife where I needed to be with that time. But it was only when my boss looked me in the eyes and basically took away the decision from myself. They said, you will go home. You have no choice. You are leaving this and you're going to go and spend time with your family, which is where you need to be right now. Like they took the decision away from myself. And I think that's what we need to do as leaders right now is we need to take that decision away from those driven, competent leaders who are on burnout. We need to take the decision out of their hands and make the decision for them. That's really interesting because our culture, the culture of the go, 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 the culture of the always on, the culture of I'm here to serve, right? It's like you can't, that saying like you can't pour from an empty cup is literally exactly. where, and people can't identify that their own cup is empty. So these organizations or these policies or these HR people need to recognize and say, your cup is empty. Um, you actually, in order to do your job, because you're saying like when leadership, it's about this behaviors, it's about being authentic. It's bringing about bringing your whole self to work and modeling the way if you're not able to do that with an like we can see your cup is empty you need to actually go and fill that back up and replenish yeah. so that actually you can do the job that we're paying you to do i love that having a yeah. way for the company to step in and recognize that because yeah. i think as a culture we don't actually support that we say the words but we actually don't no, exactly. And it'd be so, it's so powerful for the leaders to do that. And it has to come from the leaders. It can't come from any, you know, if the corporate uh, folks are the leaders, and that's fine, but it has to come from the, the senior direct leader of that individual. Mm -hmm. They have, ha because that's it again, it's, it's a leadership. It's all about leadership and modeling behaviors. So that senior leader who, you know, say, take me for an example, who I report to needs to look me in the eyes, needs to look me in the eyes and say, you are are not coming to work for the next two weeks. You are taking time off. I'm not giving you the decision. It's not your decision. I've made it for you. That's what needs to happen. Um, because we're all driven. We're all very pride is, you know, um, our, our strength, but also one of our biggest downfalls. And it, it, it so many times we're not going to give ourselves that permission because as a servant leader, it goes completely against what the notion of as a servant leadership, but it actually doesn't go against servant leadership because if you can't serve yourself and you can't lead yourself and you can't lead anybody else, you know, and that's yeah. sometimes the, the point that's forgotten about certain leadership as well is, you know, you need to be able to lead yourself. Like you're going to lead other people as far as you can lead yourself. Okay. I want to talk about that after I want to finish these three things. And then I want to talk about leading yourself. Okay. The second one is habit. Tell me about that one. Yeah. I mean, it's just those daily habits that we have. Um, 
I guess, okay, yeah, I guess the way I describe it is, and this absolutely stealing this from Simon Sinek said it one time, it's like leadership, you know, sometimes you can think of it as like dental hygiene. It's kind of a funny analogy. But I could go to the dentist twice a year, which is, you know, probably normal-ish kind of thing. So that's fantastic, go to the dentist twice a year. But it does not mean anything if I don't practice dental hygiene daily. And so I can go to a leadership conference twice a year. I can do a week's leadership development program when I've just become a leader, et cetera, et cetera. None of that means anything if I don't practice the daily habits of being a leader. That is what means the most. You know, like I could buy my wife flowers on her birthday and buy her chocolates for Valentine's Day. But that doesn't mean I love her. It's how I show up every day. It's how I try every day. It's how I try and just be better and lead every day. It's those daily habits that actually make you a leader. And again, in organizations, we think we can send people on them, you know, a one day workshop or whatever it is. And we think, okay, now they've had, got the tools and skills and techniques and they can start their leadership journey. And, and yes, those things are useful, but then they're just a platform to build upon when we go back to our, our regular, you know, uh, working day, which is why I believe, you know, leadership development programs which have routine check-ins you know weekly webinars whatever it is uh you know you where you're forced to journal and that sort of stuff you know they are they are the transformational uh, leadership programs you know they last three months six months a year and you know they require a couple of hours of actual time from the individual week in person or in class if you like and then you know all the time they think and reflect about it in between they're the they're the programs that make the most difference so i guess that's what i mean when i say say it's a habit it's not it's not the the grand um arena type events every so often it's just the daily habits it's the habits and how you instill those habits is that accountability right so instead of i know a lot of organizations it's the leadership training is a tick box right it's like oh you went on the management 101 course check you're, you're done your training but because leadership is a habit and you need that accountability and that accountability comes through we're actually committing to the long term in this program that we're going to send you on there's three months or six months there's a year there's like maybe it's in a group maybe there's coaching so that people are actually doing the habits and they're coming back you know troubleshooting right because it's all of a sudden you could say oh you've got to make it a habit then I'm like I've taken the one day course and I'm back back at my desk all by myself okay Phil said to make it a habit how do I do this right yeah 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 you're all excited the first day and you're like okay the first time you try it it doesn't work right and you're like okay well you a lot of people will give up right you're like oh it doesn't work whereas this accountability piece when you're in it with people for three months a year six months um you can actually try it and you can come back and when it doesn't work you can (laughs) troubleshoot and figure it out and there's that accountability and then you said it's a leadership journey right it's not a tick box it's not a two-day session and we're done it's like that's the start of the journey and the journey really happens when you're developing those habits habits learning from them tweaking them and doing them every single day. So I we're totally aligned on that one. And this idea that leadership, of course, can't be done in two days. It, it needs to be that habit. And they need, yeah. I think, that accountability to really figure out what those habits are. Because I don't think it's like you can say, I'm going to, you know, check in with my team every single day. And all of a sudden that happens. And that behavior becomes a daily task. It doesn't, yeah. humans don't work that way. No, no, exactly, exactly. Which ties actually into the belief part. Yeah, so let's talk about belief. So I want to talk about the third one, which is the belief. Tell me about that. Well, I mean, it ties into what we were just saying then is, I guess it's, you know, what's your 
What's your belief on leadership versus management? I hate the word management. I hate the word manager. I hate the fact that anybody who is responsible for other people, other human beings, have, have the word management a title. I think it's, it's so wrong. And I often say to an organization, I said, if you want to make one subtle but significant change right now, get rid of the word manager from anybody who leads anybody and replace it with leader. That's it. Make that one change right now. That would have such an impact. Management is an important part of leadership. So, you know, if leadership is the big bubble, if you like, management is in that. Yeah, absolutely. You need to manage processes, procedures, etc. as a leader. But we've got that whole notion wrong, you know. And if you go onto any job board, any job website or whatever, and you type in the word manager, uh, you'll get, you know, say you get 10,000 jobs will come up. You type the word leader, you won't get 10,000. You'll get maybe 500, you know. We, we have not recognized that, that importance. And I, so I think it, it's that belief that as a leader, my job is to care for those people who actually look after the programs they're in charge of look after, looking after. That is my job, is to care for those people. It's not to manage the programs that they are competent enough to do, that they are hired to do. It's to lead and care for the people. I have to believe that. And if they don't believe that, I'm just going to go back to my natural comfort zone, which is managing those technical areas and te those technical programs, which is why I said sometimes the best leaders are those who don't know anything about a technical area, because it basically closes that door. That door is no, never open for them. They can't go to that comfort zone of, of that managing that technical area or giving advice and guidance on this technical project because they know nothing about it. So they're forced. They're forced to just care about the people uh, and lead the people, you know, and, um, you know, a number of years ago, uh, when I was still in the army and we were responsible for, you know, the, um, this whole host of important equipments and um, people used to come in, they used to talk about the state of this equipment. And I used to be like, I don't want to hear about the equipment. I don't want to hear about the equipment. I want to hear about the people who are in charge of looking after that equipment. Your leaders, I'm a leader. We need to care about the people who are caring for the equipment. We don't need to care for the equipment because we, there's people, very competent technical people who've hired to do that. We need to care about the people and that's what we need to do as leaders. So I think it's, it's that belief and, uh, and not everybody has that belief and that's okay, you know, um, but if you don't have that belief, it's going to be hard for you to stay out of your comfort zone and going down into the technical areas. So I'm so curious about this. If people, because the way that organizations work right now is that technical experience gets people to that leadership position, um, but they don't have that belief yet. Is there a way for us to, to change that and just and educate them? Because I think it's not, if they don't believe, right? If like someone's promoted into a leadership position based on their technical skills, and that's just the way things have been done, it's not really that they're their fault that they don't know that their job is to really empower the people on their team and not yeah. get their hands in the details. So how can we shift that belief? I think it's through examples. It's through demonstrating that it can be done. So a number of years ago, again, I was um, promoted into a position and there were, I had five other colleagues who did a similar role. I was the only person, you know, in probably the last decade who had been put into that position who had zero technical knowledge and expertise. Without a doubt, there was a lot of corridor conversations, a lot of, you know, closed door conversations about how on earth I was going to do that job. Two years later, people were like, wow, you've, you've turned this team around. Like, you know, the morale, the engagement, the competency that's coming out of this team is amazing. It's fantastic. I knew nothing about the technical area of that team that I led. 
I just focused on the people. So I think it's through examples and it's through doing those sort of things. But that only happened because somebody was willing to take the risk on me. Somebody had the courage to recognize that leadership is what they needed, uh, not management of the technical areas. So I think it's through demonstrating that um, that, it, that it can be done. Now, uh, you make a great point as well. Like, that I'm not saying that if you came up through the technical area, you can't be an amazing leader. You absolutely can. In fact, you, you know, you probably have the potential to be the best leader out there because you, you could cover all bases. But, it, but you have to somehow make that internal transition from being a technical ex- expert to being the leader. And it's the hardest thing to do because it's, it is the hardest thing to sit and watch your team struggle and find their own path and their own journey when you know the answer, you know that technical answer yourself. But if you give them that answer, you are absolutely failing them. You need to let them find it themselves because then you're empowering and creating future leaders. And that's our job as leaders. Our, our job as leaders is just to create future leaders. And that's, all, that's my mindset every day. Like my job today is to create the leaders of the future. It's not to manage technical programs. So it's that mindset and that's belief. So I'm so curious. I know you told me before, at one point in your career, you managed a bomb team. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I've seen it on, on TV, right? It's very high stress, very high stakes situation. And you actually don't know anything about dismantling a bomb. So I want you, I want to t- you to tell me like what that was like and the trust that you had to instill in these people and what it felt like to actually have people's lives on the line and you're in charge of it, but not actually having the skills to step in and take over. Tell me about yeah. what it was like. You know, it's funny because it just it just felt normal to me because that was what I was completely used to. I was used to leading people um, where I didn't understand their technical area and their expertise. So it was just, again, it was just through empowerment and trust. It was just through asking them if what they needed from me, like, what could I do? What can I do to help you? Like, you know, when they presented me a, a plan or a project, and it's like when anybody in any organization presents a plan or a project, most times a lot of the leaders will then add their two cents. Like, you know, so if that plan is presented at 70%, you know, it's like 70% good enough. And the, the leaders think, I oh, you know, I could add my two cents and this plan could be like 90% really pretty solid they'll add those two cents but that is the worst thing you should do because then that plan doesn't become the people's anymore it becomes yours and you take away that ownership and empowerment so i would you know often they present plans and i would just say okay what do you need from me what support do you need from me and and they'll tell me and then i would do what i can to get that so it was you know even though on the hierarchical chart i was their leader it was often in reality you know again i was there to serve them you know um what did it feel like to not be able to help them technically I guess it just goes back to understanding what my role was like understanding that they, my role was to make sure they had everything they needed and then trusting, trusting them, like just accepting that my role was just to lead them. Their role was to take care of the technical aspects um, of that situation. I would just try to, you know, create the environment where they felt as comfortable and as safe as they possibly could and give them space. I think the space is probably the, the best gift as a leader you can give your team. Space, space to do their job. Just give them space. Get out of the way and let them do their job, you know? And um, I remember that again very early on in my training. 
in the army it was you know the best bit of advice probably ever given is like your job as a leader once you know once the situation is unfolding is just to get out of their way and give them the space to do their job and we don't as leaders we're so obsessed with getting in their way asking them for updates you know and feeding information to senior board members and all this sort of stuff and it's just it drags the whole situation down yeah, I want to go back to this thing you said about the plan. If like when the leader comes in, they they think the plan's kind of like 70% there and they know the leader knows in their mind this is what will get it to 90% or this will get it to 100, like this will knock it out of the park. Um I know for myself, it's a really hard position to be in, right? You asking someone to do something and you know if if they just did these two things, it would be a thousand times better. And it's really hard to have that constraint. So I want to talk about something else you can do because I am like a high achieving person <laughs> and I know me sitting back and watching the 70% plan unfold is probably not going to be good for me because I'm going to be all anxiety. <laughs> I'm not going to trust. I'm going to question. Um, I don't know if that would put, I, I just know for my own self, it'd be really hard to, um, to really fully let that go. But I was just thinking what, what I could do because you're challenging me, what could I do knowing that the plan is not at the best? And I think it's asking more questions. So really holding the team accountable to be like, what would take this to like 110%? Like how confident mm -hmm. are you right now that this would over deliver? Because I think when you give people that chance to go away and come back and rise up to that challenge, it actually, they probably would come back with something even better than what if I told them and they implemented my idea yeah. to make it what my 90% is. If I give them that chance to go back away and they come back, they're probably going to come back with something that I couldn't even have imagined. But like holding that advice, tr like holding my mouth on the advice is what I would probably do. And I would actually send them away, <laughs> get them to come back with a better plan. Um, and really, I expect that it would be even better than something I could have imagined. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. That non-directive coaching approach is absolutely what's going to kind of help them find find their own path, and their own journey. And I think it's ultimately, in my mind, and again, it goes back to servant leadership and what I said about my sole job as a leader is to develop those leaders around me. So if somebody comes to me with a project and a plan, my job is not to make sure this project and a plan is at the best it is. My job is to develop those leaders and the best development they're going to get is by figuring out themselves. So the project and the plan, so I guess it's having a long-term mentality as opposed to short-term mentality. Because So the project and the plan might get executed in the next month, two months, six months, whatever. And it, it might stay at 70%, 75%, 80%. But the team will learn so much, so much through that. Then in two years' time, they're going to be way better uh, and they're going to be much better leaders. Whereas if I don't take that mentality and that approach, in two years' time, we're going to be in the same situation and they're going to bring me a plan which is 70%. So I think it's taken that that long-term mentality as well is my job is to really build their own thought provoking skills, their own leadership skills. And so they can find their own journey. And the, the danger and the challenges in today's society, we work in such a fast paced information driven society where we forgot that actually failures are a beautiful thing. Mistakes are a beautiful thing. That's, that's the only path to success. Uh, and we we are sometimes pressured, sometimes pressured where we're not allow, we're not willing, we're not allowing our teams to make those mistakes and failures uh, on their own paths to success. Oh, I love that. It's like those missed owning, knowing that it's okay to make a mistake. And it's, I think it's so yeah. interesting as like, I know for me, like, it's okay for me to make a mistake, but I know um, 
sometimes when you're on a team, you don't actually know it's okay to make a mistake. So I think even mm. having that leader be public and share their failures, share their mistakes yeah. is so empowering for people to watch their leader try something and it not go to yeah. as the plan yeah. um, and recognize that that gives the team members permission to do the same. Because I don't think yeah. we do that as well. It's always like you said it before, the leader's polished. They've got all their ducks in a row and there's this persona that you're showing yeah. up with as a leader. And then people are like, you know, it's not okay to fail, but it actually is. And that leader has probably failed so many times and that's what got them to where they are today. So that yeah. vulnerability, um, I love all of this conversation, Phil. So I have one last question and this is okay. a question you asked me when we first met and I want you, do you remember the question? It was about the three relationships in my life. So I want, oh, you, yeah, 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 I want okay, you yeah. to talk about that. So ask that question. And I want to tell you, um, ask the question to the audience. Okay. Okay. And uh, so I'll just go out and, and ask the question straight away. Okay. So, and this, this came from, um, I was uh, a guest speaker or keynote speaker recently. And, uh, and I was thinking about, you know, what, what it might be useful for, to present to them. So I, I asked them. Um, so everybody now listening, just think about this question. What are, the three most important relationships in your life. So everybody just think about those three most important relationships in your life. Give everyone a few seconds. Let's just, let's pretend everyone's thought about those. Now I'm gonna ask you a follow-up question. And uh, clearly you're gonna put your hand up and no one can see you because you're out for a walk or whatever. Who put yourself in that top three? Which of you put your, the relationship you have with yourself in that top three? And it's a little bit of a trick question, I fully admit, and one that I would absolutely fail myself. But the point is, is the relationship we have with ourselves is absolutely the most important and the most powerful relationship we can ever have in our lives. We can only be empathetic with others if we're empathetic with ourselves. We can only trust others if we can trust ourselves we can only lead others if we can lead ourselves you know my ability to lead and how far i can lead my team is absolutely directly intrinsically linked with my ability to lead myself like most of us can talk about our favorite vacation spot then we can talk about our own inner deepest fears our deepest insecurities our triggers like how our heart our mind and our body feels when those triggers are coming what are, our, what are our greatest strengths? Like, how do we really know how we show up for different people in our lives? You know, it's hard. Those answers, those questions are hard questions to ask. And a lot of us don't explore that. And a lot of us put so much attention and maintenance on every other relationship and every other aspect of our life, apart from the relationship we have with ourselves. And I think it's a lifelong journey. that, And, and I'm absolutely talking from the perspective of absolute failure in it. Um, and, you know, and certainly for the first half of my life and it's so that's why i'm so passionate about trying not to fail on it in the second half of my life is you know there's so many things that i just don't know about myself and there's so many realizations over the last few years that i'm like oh my gosh yeah that is a trigger and that's where i start to feel tenseness in my body when this starts to happen and how can i try to manage that and that whole self-awareness and self-management which absolutely we know is part of like the social intelligence and emotional intelligence which for me is 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 fundamental for any leader going forward so the relationship you have yourself has has to be the most important relationship. And it's, we all know it. It's the analogy we've heard a billion times now, you know, put the oxygen mask on first. And it's just that. It's just that. And we have to do it. I actually have in my, in my uh, calendar every day, I have an hour blocked off and it's called self-care. And I, I have it in there deliberately because I actually do it. 
but also because everybody around me can see my calendar, my whole team, even those I don't work with, everybody can see that. And the, the impact that has is pretty important. A number of people have mentioned to me how that has given them permission to, to take look after themselves. And we all get crazy in our days and we get on that treadmill of busyness and we don't stop and we don't take care of ourselves and we don't start to look in, inside at ourselves. So yeah, that's that question. And that's where it came from. I love it. So thank you so much for that. And for me, just so everybody knows, I did not write down the relationship with myself when Phil asked me this question. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's why I thought it was such a powerful question. So Phil, after every podcast, we always want people to take action immediately after learning something new. And I'm sure you will appreciate this because you talked about reinforcement. You talked about creating new habits. So what is something that people can do within 24 hours of hearing this podcast to really start embracing that concept of servant leadership? Uh, I guess it has to be, ask yourself that question. How are you going to start prioritizing the relationship you have with yourself? And so one how do thing, people actually do that? What is one thing? What's in it? Give me a couple examples of like one thing that people can do to start prioritizing that, that relationship with themselves. So one thing, so one thing I do, uh, I've started doing is uh, a morning five minute meditation. I've been so bad at meditation in my life. Um, you know, and it's, you know, I've always tried to avoid it because I'm basically scared of what I'm going to hear and what I'm going to see when I look inside. So I've, I've started to kind of have that little bit of a ritual. I, I started to also create some personal boundaries. And, you know, if I'm sat outside of my, I'm, I'm, I'm from England, I'm a cup of tea guy and, uh, don't speak to me in the morning before I've had my cup of tea. So, you know, it's just creating that, that space where I can actually have my own five minutes before the craziness of the world kind of takes over so i think one daily little habit maybe five minutes maybe one minute maybe 10 minutes whatever it is just start small but just write down one daily habit that you can start to do which is absolutely putting the relationship with you have with yourself at the top i love it so simple and people can do it right away so phil how do people connect with you uh, uh impactleadershipteam.com uh, i have my uh, my website which talks about all my uh, a lot of my crazy leadership philosophies that i've discussed and i have some leadership training and various other aspects on there and uh, instagram uh, impact.leadership okay amazing thank you so much for this interview i learned so much and i hope everyone else did as well that's great thanks a lot for having me andrew it was great thanks a lot hi there before you go i was wondering if i could ask you a huge favor can you click on itunes and give the podcast a five-star review and also a comment this would mean the world to me it also helps us to spread the word about the podcast and attract higher profile guests we want to be able to deliver thought leadership around diversity and inclusion every single week and having more reviews on iTunes will help us to do that and help us to keep the show going for free for you. So please head to iTunes right now, give us a five-star review and leave us a comment. Thanks so much. 